Hello, hello. Hey up, what's up, what's good? Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most artistic, athletic, tenacious, basically unique and interesting people in the world. Everyone has a story, each person a scholar. Welcome to season three. As we continue to seek out some of the most unforgettable humans, some of the most memorable stories, in the first two seasons, the show featured guests from over 60 different countries and will continue down that path because it is imperative that we cherish the differences. And we can only do that by getting out and journeying into unknown frontiers, whether it be physically or simply through conversation, sharing lovely experiences and saluting the tenacious and resilient guests. We have an outstanding episode for you today with not one but two incredible guests. Andy and Tracy are currently on an unforgettable journey called Ride to the Rock. The duo is cycling over 2,000 miles from Amsterdam to Gibraltar as they fundraise for Doctors Without Borders, MSF. Ride to the Rock is the latest part of an ongoing fundraising project for Doctors Without Borders. The aim of Ride to the Rock is to raise 30,000 pounds toward an overall goal of 200,000 pounds. Doctors Without Borders, also known as Medicine San Frontiras, MSF, helps people worldwide where the need is greatest, delivering emergency medical aid to the people affected by conflict, epidemics, disasters, or exclusion from healthcare. They are a global humanitarian movement with 45,000 staff spread across 70 countries. Their goal is to find the places in most need of help, and during times of conflict or disasters, they provide boots on the ground in the form of medical treatment. I first spoke with Andy, gosh, over two years ago as we talked about his book, Ebola Behind the Mask. In that book, Andy describes his experiences in the Ebola crisis up close and personal, from the decision to commit to a mission, the training with MSF in Amsterdam, and the work in the Ebola Management Center. Now, Ride of the Rock is actually the second bike riding fundraising endeavor for the duo. They first did a trans United States bike ride in 2016, where they traversed 13 states, 4,000 miles. It was unsupported, and like all of their projects, was self-funded with all the money raised going towards Doctors Without Borders. Andy and Tracy are knocking out many, many, many miles per day with endless grind on the bike, logistical planning, and other media requests. We're incredibly lucky that they granted us some of their free time. And we actually spoke as they were winding down the day in the south of France, getting ready to camp out. On today's episode, the duo discusses why MSF is important to them. They also chat about the planning that goes into their trip. And lastly, they reflect on some of the highlights thus far from the food they've had to their experiences with nature and some locals, including one amazing connection Andy made over 10 years ago. These are two amazing humans, and I am proud to know them, honored to have them on the show, excited to follow along their journey, and also a tad bit envious that they're on, on the Mediterranean coast. At the end of the episode, we're going to feature a song that was created for the trip called I Can Do It by Jen Armstrong. Excited for you guys all to meet them. So let's go ahead and welcome on two of my favorite people from Yorkshire, Andy Dennis, Tracy Hill, part of Ride to the Rock, and let's learn. We're near a place called Nîmes, and N-I-M-E-S, in the south of France at the moment. Fantastic. Um, and, I, and I'm with Tracy here, so... Uh... Hi. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Tracy. Well, I was so excited to chat. It's so funny talking to you because the last time we spoke, that was pre-pandemic. <laughs> yes, it was. Yeah, it was actually, yeah, which is... Yeah, there's a lot happened, um, particularly with me because I'm back in intensive care. I've been in intensive care throughout the whole of the pandemic. Um, and yeah, it's been a, well, <laughs> yeah, for want of a better word, an intense couple of years. Um, and it's it started to slow down. Things are 
a lot better in the UK, and I think globally with with COVID, things were a lot less uh, unstable than they were. But yeah, it's been quite a journey really for everyone, and a lot of tragedy on the way. Well, I can tell that slow down because here you are out on another adventure. So, bring, absolutely, yeah. Bring me up to date. What is the current endeavor that you're undertaking? Okay, so this is uh, this project is called Ride to the Rock, and it's a ride, a bike ride from. Um, Amsterdam to uh, Gibraltar and this is the follow-up to Tracy and I riding across uh, the US in 2016. Um, we had actually planned to do this ride um, in 2020 but unfortunately uh, world events overtook us and uh, so we, we only got away in, uh, in the beginning of May of this year. Tracy, I don't, I don't know as much about you. Are, are you in the healthcare field as well? I'm a nurse as well. Um, hi there. I met Andy when I was um, a student nurse. Um, I was on placement in uh, intensive care in a small town hospital called Harrogate in the UK. And I asked him, he was on duty and I said, oh, I'm your student. Um, you know, you need to give me some guidance. And he just said, not today. <laughs> he said, I'm a bit caught, <laughs> a bit caught up today. Um well, he, he signed me off at um, the placement, so, you know, he did me good in the end. <laughs> we, we eventually got things together. Yeah. And here we are. Uh, oh, I should tell you, actually, uh, Randall, we, uh, we, we, we got engaged in Paris, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, 10 years after we met. <laughs> and there's no better city on the planet to get engaged than in Paris. Absolutely. Congrats on that. Absolutely. Any, any particular location? <laughs> Yeah, well, again, you know, the hopeless romantic, but I am uh, the Eiffel Tower. Um, Just at the, to the Eiffel Tower. Yeah, it was, it was absolutely lovely, and Tracy had no idea, and uh, it, it was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a shock, but it was hopefully, hopefully a nice shock, and uh, uh, yeah, it, it was nice to have some friends there to film it, and uh, yeah, that was... Share, that, that to was share it, sorry. Yeah, to share it, and uh, yeah, it was lovely. Brilliant. <clears throat> nice job, Andy. Great job on that. Story. Thank you. You're in the south of France. You do not need to be talking to me for a long time. We need to get you back out. So let's, we'll get the question. No, going. no, it's absolutely fine, Randall. <laughs> this, this ride, which is a fantastic name, Ride to the Rock, it's for Doctors Without Borders, MSF. Andy, why is MSF important to you? Yeah, it, it is. A 2,000-mile bike ride is a big commitment, as a 4,000-mile across the U.S. was. So the reason we do this stuff is because I have worked with MSF on four missions, and I've seen what difference they make in the world for the world's most desperate people who really, really have no options when it comes to medical, uh, medical care. And um, there is a lovely quote from a former um, president of, of uh, Doctors Without Borders who said, we look for the places where the conditions are the worst, where nobody else is, and that's where we want to be. And I've always remembered that quote because it, it sums up the open organization in my eyes. Um, which very, very commonly we are the only people in an area um, as actors. Um, so the idea of this is to do is to um, get sponsorship from corporates and from individuals, mostly from individuals, but we have got co good corporate sponsors this time. No donations too small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. As Tracy says, uh, no donation is too small. Um, but we have we've. Uh, Raised uh, so far on this project, I, I think about um, about probably about twenty three thousand um, pounds yeah. towards uh, our eventual goals. Um, but Tracy, it's a little bit complicated because we, we set a project total, 
which is £30,000. That's what we're aiming to raise with Ride to the Rock. Um, I'm overall trying to aim to raise £200,000, and that, that's about £128,000 at the moment. And Tracy set a goal of raising £10,000 and has raised over eleven so far. And the, but this project's been going on, and the, uh, and raising this money's been going on for over ten years. Yeah, it's you a know. Long so, but this particular ride to the rock is about twenty four so far. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around that. Somewhere around that. So we've uh, yeah, it's a big commitment, and um, as Tracy said, that we've been doing this for a long time, and we go on as I always say, we'll go on until the need is uh, is, is satisfied, and there is no longer a reason to have an MSF in the world. So I think this is a lifelong commitment, unfortunately. I, yeah. I admire that. I admire that so much. You mentioned that MSF's goal is to be in places of need. What are some of the things that they do when they're on site in a location of need? What does MSF do? So they work in a number of contexts. So um, conflict. Um, we're very active in, uh, in the Ukraine conflict at the moment, both on, in Ukraine itself and on the peripheries in, uh, such as Poland with the displaced uh, people. Um, that's just one conflict. Um, they're also active in uh, natural disasters. Uh, or epidemics. I, I was involved in the Ebola outbreak. I've also been involved in, in response to cholera um, in South Sudan. Um, and, and, and anywhere, really, where uh, there's a denial of health. So it can be denial of health because of uh, demand overwhelming available medical facilities, or it can be because people are in such remote areas that they don't have access to health healthcare that way so th there are a number of contexts in which we work and and, uh, and uh, we can add to that natural disasters as well so they've had the biggest uh, response that the msf have ever made was uh, after the 2012 earthquake in haiti mm -hmm. so uh, yeah enormous response uh, required there so really anything where people where healthcare systems have either didn't exist or broken down you'll find msf in over 70 countries around the world does MSF offer opportunities for non-medical personnel to volunteer? Yeah, it does, um, very much so. And, and in fact, it's an interesting thing. You, 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 the assumption, perfectly reasonably, would be that it's massively predominantly medical staff, but that's not always the case. So on a, on a medical project, you will have a number of doctors and nurses. Um, you might have some psychologists, depending on the project. Um, surgeons, anaesthetists, um, but, but also away from the medical side of things, you have logisticians, so that's logisticians that are arranging the supply lines, uh, massive, massive complicated logistics supply lines back from Europe, um, and uh, also uh, um, logisticians uh, making uh, buildings and fixing vehicles, keeping them on the road to keep, to keep the, uh, the nursing and medical staff arriving at clinics, and the clinics in shape. So the electrics of the of the clinics need to uh, to be functional, so we can work twenty four hours. You've also got uh, water and sanitation experts. You've got administration people. Locally locally hired people need to be paid, and uh, MSF need to be compliant with international and national laws regarding employment. Uh, so yeah, there's there's an awful lot to every single MSF project. And when I say they're operating in seventy countries at the moment that's that what i mean by that is literally 70 different countries within each country there may be a, a number of uh, projects so for example within south sudan there's probably there's probably 10 15 projects running at any one time just in south sudan tracy in, in regards to the actual ride to the rock how much preparation and planning went into to the routes into the order and, and the logistics of the trip 
Oh, I remember that word, routes. <laughs> Everyone said routes in America. Um, we, um, the preparation, well, we have a good app called Commute, um, and you, you can kind of like make the, the route work for where you want to go. And you can look into all the areas where, you, where if it's suitable, the level elevation, you know, um, what's around that area. So, you know, you can get um, things to eat or supplies. You know, if your bike breaks down, you can fix it. So, um, preparation-wise, we're, 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 pretty, we're pretty, like, medium fit people. So, I've always been active since I was at school, um, from primary all the way up. Um, and I still do an outdoor group thing with some friends. You know, they, they tend to be quite global, the army outdoor group fitness camp things. So, I'm relatively fit. So, I think if you keep your body fit, you know, you can do these things. And then when you are doing them, um, your body doesn't um, kick back so much. Because we couldn't be on the road um, before we went um, to, to Europe. We couldn't train on the road, a daily training on the bike, because I work full time. Yeah. I'm in the hospital till late. I get home after seven in the evening. I do an hour's fitness, but it's still not what we're doing now we're on the road we've been on the road this morning since about um 10 o'clock this morning um and we only just pitched the tent about half an hour before you phone so, so. that's about eight hours or so yeah, yeah about eight hours yeah. so what, what i think uh, tracy's alluding to there we uh, you get fitter on the road yeah. yeah you get fitter on the road yeah but you have a you have to have an element of fitness yeah yeah so a baseline that improves as we're away. Yeah. Mm. I heard the word tent. So how, <laughs> how, how often are you in the tent and how often are you maybe in a, in a hotel or something? Yeah, we're, we're, the vast majority of the time we're in a tent and uh, quite a lot of the time, I would say probably about, uh, about 40, 50% of our tent time is wild camping. So we are wild camping as much as possible just to try and keep costs down because we, we fund everything of our uh, challenges ourselves. Um, any money that's donated goes to MSF, not to uh, cover our uh, accommodation or food or anything. Mm -hmm. And that's really important that we get that across to people. Um, so, um, yeah, we, we've stayed, I think, in, in hotels on about probably about five or six occasions now. And we're 26 days into cycling today. Yeah. So most of the time we're camping. Uh, tonight we're on a campground. Um, and that's nice because we have the luxury, and it is that the luxury of a shower yep. and proper toilets and that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, you, you, when, we're, when we're doing this, we really do get to appreciate things that we take for granted all the time. And, and what's really nice about that is those are levelers because the things that we take for granted all the time are things that aren't available to the recipients of care that MSF have. So we're living a little bit more by choice, though, towards the lives that a lot of those people uh, have to endure, you know, where, where their lives are unstable, they're never settled, and they're living a very uh, mobile existence. Yeah. yeah, what is the the plan? When do you hope to reach the rock? Yeah, so so our, our movements at the moment are along. We're going to hit the Mediterranean coast of Montpellier in about two days, ah. and then we'll tra travel along the Med Coast. <laughs> um, and then we should get to Barcelona, uh, we think around uh, towards the end of, of, of June, around the 23rd, 24th, 25th, somewhere around that. 
And then we've got another um, about another month before we have to be back in the UK. So I think about three weeks after. So we're saying mid-July we should be in, uh, in Gibraltar and um, meeting the Barbary macaques on the rock. <laughs> I mean, I, I, my mouth is dropping just hearing these locations. You're in Barcelona, you're on the Mediterranean. Tracy, for you... Which of the locations yeah. thus far, thus far, have you seen that are just oh, unforgettable that are going to stay with you forever? Which ones? I mean, to be honest, honestly, I am like just blown away with just the nature of everywhere right. we've been. Yeah. Right. So yesterday we're in France. So we're just um, like we're saying, we're how far away from Montpellier? Uh, about two, uh, two days. A couple of days away from yeah, Montpellier, the south miles. of France. We were so hot because it's, it is like, today's like blue, blue, blue sky and it's biting your arms. It's so hot. Yesterday was pretty much the same and there was a stream, um, the Rhone River, R-H-O-N-E River, running down um, and I said to Andy, oh, should we get in? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and um, so we got in, but the most beautiful part of that and the most beautiful things that I've seen are dragonflies. The iridescent, beautiful, um, um, just, just humming past you. You can hear the hum coming to see you, looking at your face, and then going up a bit like Disney World, you know, <laughs> like on the water side. Um, and that is it, you know. Yeah. The, the, it's just beautiful. The the animals have made it. We've seen deers. We've seen swans. Swans. We've seen. Parrots, <laughs> crazy yeah. in trees in the Netherlands. Um, it's the beauty of the nature. That's, yeah. that's what I'm going to say. So actually, not one place, but the nature of yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Andy, how about most memorable interaction with, with a local? Uh, so that, yeah, that's a very good one. I mean, we, we are a little bit constrained because um, that's uh, the language uh, problem is, uh, is quite significant. We're, we've been using a translation app quite a lot um, because uh, we, we, we can speak very uh, limited French, so we can ask for specifics, um, but I certainly couldn't hold a, a protracted conversation in French. No, you're French. Um, but um, probably I, our, our best, um, best interaction with locals was, uh, and this is a nice story actually, 11 years ago I was walking from Amsterdam to Barcelona, yeah. a 1,500-mile walk, uh, we we spoke about this before, Randall, and um, I, uh, I we were near to fairly near to uh, Grenoble, uh, about four or five days away from here cycling, and uh, I was just walking up this road with a big eighteen kilogram backpack on, and uh, I saw this guy waiting, leaning on a car, and he, he was waiting to meet me, young and uh, he was a young guy in his early twenties, and we started talking. He spoke really good English. And he was saying, you know, what are you doing? He'd read, seen the back of my pack saying, walking Amsterdam to Gibraltar. But he was asking me questions. But then he offered me a place to stay and uh, a meal with him, his, uh, his fiancée and her, her, um, her, uh, her dad. And so I went back and that was me meeting Jean-Baptiste and, uh, and his now wife, Sophie. And uh, we, we stayed with him in Grenoble three, uh, four days ago. So that was the first time I'd seen him in 11 years, and it was so lovely to uh, to, to catch up with them again. How amazing is that? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a lovely a lovely first meeting, a lovely second meeting, and we've just rekindled a friendship. And it just shows, you know, 
for, for, for the language is frustrating, but we're actually very, very close to one another in our, in our aspirations of life and our um, judgments about what's fair and what's kind and what's right. Yeah, I mean, even even the other day, um, we stopped for a, a cafe a longer, a, a long coffee, a big coffee, big coffee yeah, yeah. and um, this lady was trying to say something to me. Oh, she looks so nice and so sweet, and she was smiling at me when she was talking. Mm. And she's, talk, she's speaking so quick, so I couldn't pick up every word. But anyhow, I just gave her a hug, and she hugged me. And that was like, and we just laughed. Yeah. You know, we couldn't continue the conversation, but we knew both of us knew that it was it was a warm. There was a connection. Connection. Wasn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just two human beings getting yeah. on. And it, this is nice, really, because it breaks down all these barriers that are put up by our politicians usually. Yeah. <laughs> There's no borders here. No. Exactly. <laughs> ah, yeah. it's, it's incredible. And as you're out there grinding away, sometimes up hills, it's been hot. It's been muggy. It's miserable out there as you're riding the bike. What is the, what's the food? What's the food that you both have been fantasizing about? You're like, oh, the second we get to Barcelona, I'm going to have this. Uh, you've got I'm, no idea I'm, about I'm, this. I'm going to take this one first. I'll let Tracy speak separately. But uh, Randall, I've got to tell you, it's it's miserable. It's absolutely miserable <laughs> because I'm a vegan, and France is not a country yeah. for vegans. Yeah. Outside big city. I am absolutely, <laughs> what do I fantasize? I've not fantasized about any kind of vegan food. It's a, it's a, it's you just want some simple hummus, yeah, crackers, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, nice salad. When we've been in, uh, so, so the last place we had proper vegan food was uh, in, in um, Geneva. And Geneva is absolutely outrageous. It's the most expensive place oh. I've ever been in my life. I've tried the world a lot and um so i'm not sure of the exchange rate for pounds to dollars but um you know how much a pound is anyway because of your background um we paid for for two burgers some nachos some fries and two buns and two beers 70 pounds <laughs> seven zip <laughs> absolutely something that would cost us half that you okay. see, you see that that that's a treat meal because <laughs> because you know Andy's gone had gone weeks and weeks and and nobody sells vegan food. You know it's all even the, even if they cook something they fry in meat fat. Yeah. Say. Yeah. So he's been tricky. So we'd go to a supermarket, search for some hummus, buy a couple of tomatoes. You know, and he's not a fussy eater. But, Baked beans. But you Baked see, beans. But, but you see, for me. <laughs> Oh, the boulangeries here are amazing. You know, like, you, you've got the most perfect, beautiful chocolate, cream, strawberry, raspberry, lemon cakes. cakes. Yeah. Lots of them. And there's so many to choose from. Walnuts are a big deal here as well because um, they're grown here in France. And they have a lot of those as well. So they have, like, a, a walnut covered in toffee with a nice crunchy pastry. So I'm actually doing really well yeah. <laughs> I'm putting on the pound <laughs> it's just perfect on this drive but uh, yeah it's going fine isn't it Trace yeah yeah it's interesting it's challenging on occasion for the vegan side but yeah it's interesting so what we do is we'll in the morning we get up we have some baked beans um, <laughs> you know beans with tomato sauce on and then we're on the road we pass the boulangerie the bakery here, and I'll say, oh, I just want one of those cakes, and then we're on the road again. Mm. So it's kind of like, 
the hit we just if you hit a blonder if we hit one and then we'll crack open another tin where we'll be doing as we say goodbye to you um and i'm gonna rustle up some kind of crazy soup concoction um, some, nothing much. Yeah. yeah. But what we have got in the bo- in the bag is a nice bottle of wine that we picked up. So uh, yeah. we're going to go and sit in the tent and drink that. Yeah. <laughs> Andy, another when we first chatted, we spoke about your book Behind the Mask about your time working with the Ebola virus. How did the last couple of years? I don't even know what the best question is for this. I don't want to compare the two, but how did the your time working with the Ebola virus? How did that prepare you for the pandemic, or or did it not prepare you? Yeah, it, it did actually, and again, it is a very, a very good question, and and comparing the two is perfectly reasonable. I mean, you know, you 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 take one disease outbreak and you compare it to another. I compared how was how was it how was Ebola compared to uh, working with cholera patients, and the answer there was quite a lot of similarities. Really, you know, the infection control measures using chlorine were uh, were quite similar, really, but. Um, I guess we, it was uh, the tightest I've ever worked with was uh, with protocolized um, decontamination and precautions and biosecurity with with Ebola is, uh, you know, you, you cannot make a single mistake. Otherwise, it's going to, uh, you know, it's going to threaten your life. Um, for COVID, it did prepare me working in, in Ebola because I, I, uh, I had a clear idea of what working in PPE was like and that it was tough. Um, and that it was important that you put it on and took it off properly and knew what you were wearing and knew the limitations of it. So all of that kind of thing um, was useful at the beginning. And I actually, um, my hospital was very good. Harrogate Hospital asked if I would take the lead on PPE training in the hospital, um, which was nice, actually, to have them recognize prior experience and see a value in that. So we were able to initially um, take Public Health England's um, protocols on, on PPE and uh, train within our department and then cascade it out through the trust, um, through the hospital staff. So, yeah, it definitely was useful. Um, and, and early lessons that I was able to give to people, when, when we were doing that training, I was able to say to people, and they would all agree with me now, that things that you're finding very frightening and very um, very, very uh, worrying at the moment when you're learning about wearing PPE to look after patients. This will become your new normal. Mm-hmm. And uh, as far as I know, though, I'm sure other people had used that phrase before, but I, as far as I know, they were hearing that phrase from me for the first time, a new normal. And, uh, and, and they very quickly got there and people... People were really, it was, it was very interesting giving those lectures and, and, and showing examples of how to put PPE on and off, uh, donning and doffing, how focused people were. Nobody in the room was looking around. Nobody was looking at their hands, you know, look, thinking about where they wanted to go that night. They were all focusing really hard because they knew this was serious and they, they wanted to be safe for their families and the patients. It must have been such a shock for you initially when you're doing the PPE and everything in Africa. When you come back home and you have to do it on your own soil, it's got to be an emotional shock. Yes, yes, it is different. It is different because, uh, and, and again, in a way, it's, it's, it, it, it's, why should we be excluded from these things? Yeah. Why should we, you know, not have to face up to the reality that people have all the time? I mean, people that live in countries where, where uh, Ebola and uh, cholera and other infectious diseases are an ever-present threat, 
you know, we, we, we're very lucky that we don't have this very often, but, you know, yeah, it's... It's a normal Yes, it's fair normal, and it's a bit of an eye-opener for us, and we should remember that, you know, we should remember that, that these people endure this all the time uh, when we're thinking about 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 our, our world vision. You know, we should remember that that's a normal threat that people live with all the time. And, and uh, on, a, on a personal level, level, Randy, you know... Their children in Africa are equally the same as our children yeah, exactly. here, you know, or anywhere in the world. It's just as valuable. The love, you know, the granddad that took his little grandchild and handed the grandchild over, that little girl, that two-year-old yeah. girl, to you to look after her mm-hmm. because he didn't, he wasn't infected with the virus. Mm. That was, that was a mate, you know, like, trust, please look after her. Please help her to live. Mm. You know, please give her your best. Yeah, he loved her, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. loved her and he had to let her go because he didn't have the virus. Mm. So, yeah, these people, they, they love just, you know, because they, they live in different societies and, uh, um, you know, their lives are a long way from our own. Um, you know, it's easy to sort of disconnect from them and think they don't love and care the same way, but they, they certainly do. They certainly yeah. do. Yeah. Tracy, there's been a, a ton of uncertainty in, in the world. When you didn't know the answer, what did you do? What did you turn to over the last few years when you didn't know the answer and didn't have a solution? What do we all do? Um, on, a personal, on a personal level, you know, we reach out to people we care about, you know, and, and, and try to look after each other, don't we? If there's any uncertainty, I used to send, um, when, we couldn't, when I couldn't make contact, physical contact with my family, I um I sent a little parcel with some uh, masks in, you know, and um, said this is how you've got to use it. This is a, you really do need to take notice about keeping a distance from people, you know. And unfortunately for me, a relative of mine did get the virus, and I nursed her until she died mm. at home. Um, and it was horrendous, you know, seeing someone you love not being able to breathe. Mm. So we do need to be responsible, you know, because if you're going to be responsible for, not responsible for yourself, be responsible for your family, you know, and your family mixed with another family and it, and it just links together. So we just have to be more understanding that we're one world, you know. Mm. Since we last spoke, I mean, so much has happened, obviously, with the pandemic quarantine, but now you're back on the road, which I see as a positive. It's great that you, we have that as an opportunity for you to get out and do another endeavor like this. With all that, what do you feel is the biggest life lesson you've picked up over the last 24 months? We've probably already said it there, and it's it, it's uh, it's something that, yeah, it's probably something that I, I kind of knew anyway, but it's been reinforced, and that is that we're all vulnerable. And as Tracy's just said there, we all have to look after each other and take care. It's This isn't just, you know, things like disease outbreaks aren't just things that happen to poor people in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, we're all vulnerable and we all have to be kind to each other. And that's probably the best, not new, but reinforced message I would say I've taken from the last couple of years. And right at the outbreak of the, uh, at the beginning of the outbreak, I said, I'm going to try and put this out there that I'll be as kind as I can to everybody who I come across. And I hope I can look back in however many years 
and say that I conducted myself with dignity um, during that time, you know, during the time of the outbreak. That I was dignified and I uh, did right by people. So I can think we can say that we've, we're both of us, for, for both Tracy and I, I think, we've, I think we've managed to do that. Yeah. Uh, dignity and empathy, you've got it both. And I admire what you're doing. I, I'm so <laughs> glad to see you back on the bikes. How can people stay up to date with the journey? How can they donate? Yeah, well, well um, we, we both have a website. Um, mine is uh, andy4msf.com. So that's andy, the number four, msf.com. Uh, and Tracy is... Tracy's actually got a better uh, website than I have. It's called uh, www.thecyclingnurse.co.uk. That's a better website, isn't it? It's not fair. Aww. Aww. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. um, on, the, uh, on my website, however, I will say, and this is an also thing to, to, to let you know about, Randall, that um, there's been a song written for this project. Um, it's a song called I Can Do It. Um, and it's a really, really inspiring song that I think um, people are going to come across. I think people are going to come across it on uh, on TV at some point. I think it's something that's going to get picked up. Um, so, uh, by all means, uh, if you uh, if you would like a copy of it, Randall, just uh, just let me know by email. I'll send you a copy straight over um, with the artwork and the likes. But people can uh, go to the website and. Uh, they can uh, they can download it from Bandcamp. I like Tracy's logo on the website as well. I like that. Yes, it's nice, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, my, my nephew designed that originally, yeah. and it was tinkered with by my friend Helen. So uh, Thank yeah, you. yeah. I think those are superb questions, actually, Randall. I, I remember I remember thinking that last time when we, when we spoke, um, how um, intelligent and uh, mm-hmm. and well considered yeah. your your questions were. So. And you've done just the same again this time. So, so. And I can tell, because it's the first time I've spoken to you, that you've got a big heart. Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you feel it. You Thank feel you. it. And do you know, if you if you read the title of the song, right, it's, it's got four words. I can do it. Love it. So I, I personally um, heard these words from someone who I love dearly, who sadly died who I briefly mentioned before and when I was looking after her she would say them words to me now at the weakest point in her life she said those words to me she could have given up she could do it if there's anything there's a message for people is give things a go believe in yourself you know Mm. say them words to yourself make them an affirmation Mm. I can do this I can do it. Yeah, good. And when you listen to the song, I think you'll, I think you'll, um, you'll, you'll see. Uh, yeah, that, that's what comes across in it as well. It's a yeah. very inspiring song. Put two feet on the ground and do it. <laughs> wow. Just brilliant, guys. I'm, I'm so glad that that you're back on the bike, and I'm so happy just to talk to you guys. You both are amazing humans. If you fancy, uh, you know, uh, a day or two up in uh, up in North Yorkshire. You'd be very welcome to come up and uh, come come out with us and stay overnight at ours. It would be that would be lovely. One hundred percent. I would be doing a disservice if I kept talking to you because you're in the south of France. Go enjoy the south of France. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Lots of love. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Much appreciation. To Andy and Tracy. Their websites are thecyclingnurse.co.uk and andy4msf.com. 
And also, if you're interested in checking out MSF, Dodgers.Boards, you can check out their website, msf.org.uk. Now we bring on the amazing talents of Jen Armstrong and her song, I Can Do It, which was created for the ride. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Such a limited time We got one little life Better make this one shine, yeah If I feel alone I know that I'm connected My heart beats through the birds and the trees to the cool gentle breeze to the lakes and the seas, yeah I'm on this journey of hope Love's got me So I know I have to trust my heart It knows this winding road Over mountain and sea No matter where life's taking me I can do it I can do it I can do it Beside the Over mountain and sea No matter where